Om Ajnanati Mirandasya Jnananjana Salakaya Chakshuru Militam Yenatasme Shri Gurve Namaha Rajunulam Dita Bhujo Kanagavadato Sankitana Ekopitaro Kamalaya Takshu Vishwamburo Dvijaburo Yugadharma Palo Bande Jagat Priyakaro Karunabhutaro Bande Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sahodito Godadai Pushpavanto Chitrosando Tumonuno He Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dinabandhu Jagatpate Gopesha Gopega Kanta Radha Kanta Namustute Tapta Kanchana Gurangi Radhe Vrindavanishwari Vishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Shri Gauri Vaishnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai Gauri Pranamande Good evening everyone Last night we talked a little bit about the esoteric origins of Gaudiya Vaishnavism with their beginnings deep within the most esoteric life uh, moments of the life of the Absolute and how that in effect moment in eternity gave birth to another moment in eternity that resulted in the descent to the world of Sri Chaitanya, Vishwambhar Mishra, the son of Jagannath Mishra in Sachi Devi, appeared in Nabadweep in West Bengal and the delta of the Ganges. Ganges, Ganga, has her origin high in the Himalayas. And from there, at least on Earth, it's, of course, said to be celestial, the Ganga, and descending from the heavens onto the head of Shiva, and who's breaking her descent so that her waters will not crush the surface of the earth on the head of Shiva and from there down the Himalayas all the way to the Bay of Bengal sacred river near the mouth of that river high in the Himalayas Vedvyas Krishna Dvaipayana Vyas he wrote Srimad Bhagavatam Srimad Bhagavat was the mature fruit of all of his literary work. He had before him the task of compiling, editing the Vedic wisdom and bringing it into the form which we know it today. Of course, this is the way in which the spiritual traditions of India look at um, this type of sacred writing. If we look at it from another angle of vision, we may come to a different conclusion as to its origins, authors, time in which the literature was manifest, and so forth. But in either case, 
we study the literature and we study it on its own terms, which are explained therein. If we hear it with an, uh, submissively, with an open heart, with a view to experience something beyond the limits of our senses, mind, and intellect, that we have some sense, some insight as to the, the idea that there's life beyond the mind, the intellect, that's, a, we're lucky. <laughs> Why? Because, as I've many times explained, the world of the mind is not very comfortable. It's based on impulses that we gather of the world from our, through our senses. As the messages are relayed, the perceptions into the mind, the mind makes a decision, sankalpa vikalpa. This is one of the basic functions of what we call mind in a general sense in uh, the uh, spiritual terminology. Sankalpa vikalpa means basically I like this and I don't like that. So we all have our likes and dislikes and we live in a world of those preferences. And what you like and what you like may be different. And the same thing may be offered to both of you, and one may like, one may not like it. So the point is, of course, and I know some of you have heard this before, but it's worth reiterating, so pay attention. The point is that by this medium of understanding what there is to be had and experienced in the world, and what I am, for that matter, the nature of being, through this um, means of uh, experiencing that, we, we are not getting the whole picture. We're not able to see objectively what possibilities there are. What's good for you may be bad for me. What's happy for you may be sad for me. So what is it? Is it good or is it bad? Is it happy or is it sad? All of those determinations are relative to our minds, which are wedded to our senses, which are contacting sense objects and feeding the mind information. So, it's hardly the whole picture, it's a small world, it's not very comforting. And so if we're lucky, we have some insight where it comes from. People will say it's not reasonable, some people. But you have some insight into the idea that there's life beyond the mind. That there's life beyond the brain, for that matter that there is such a thing as mind that's different from the brain, they will think it is a bit of a fantasy. But nonetheless, such people go on trying to improve their lives and, uh, and, and become truly happy. So they are not conducting themselves, essentially speaking, in, in any way other than, than theists. And there are hosts of theists and spiritual experiencers who have, by a different methodology, sought to uh, uh, experience and tell us about what's out there, what there is, what we are, what potential there is in life. So, other, obviously, those of us gathered here are more or less of that persuasion, and we're lucky, because, as I say, the world of the mind is very small and very... Um, confining. So to go beyond that, this is in a very basic sense, 
what real spiritual life is about. And this I differentiate here by saying that spiritual life from religious life. Religious life is more about coloring our daily human activities with a, a, a religious, um, a godly um, shade. And spiritual life is about realizing, experiencing uh, something beyond the confines of, of humanity, or we could say the full potential of humanity, inasmuch as humanity is a combination of matter and spirit to understand the spiritual side, the greater half of the equation, the experiencer, rather, rather than just the experienced, who's doing the experiencing, the self. So we're fortunate, and Sri Chaitanya, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, appearing in Navadvip, has uh, found a very wonderful way to speak to us about that. And its origins in one sense although he appeared in the, in the Ganga Delta at the Bay of Bengal, or at the other end of that great river in the Himalayas, where Vyas, the author and editor of all these sacred texts of, of India, compiled in his most mature point of realization, as his final uh, word, written word, the Bhagavad Purana. We really uh, tend in our sampradaya, our lineage, to shy away from calling this book the Bhagavat Purana. Rather, we call it Srimad Bhagavatam. The text itself has called itself such. What is that verse? Study up. Srimad Bhagavate Mahamunikrite Kimbhaparayishvara. It is Sri Srimad Bhagavatam. This is a very telling title. And it, it distinguishes it from the rest of the Puranas, which, incidentally, the other Puranas do as well. There is unity in this. In a chorus, all of the Puranas sing the glories of Srimad Bhagavatam. In Srimad Bhagavatam, the very life, the soul of God, is uh, given emphasis. God may be emphasized, different aspects of God, different manifestations of God, in different uh, of the uh, various sacred texts, but this is the speciality of the Srimad Bhagavatam. It focuses on the soul of God, as much as the soul is the life of all of us. So, the soul, that is what is meant by Sri, Sri Bhagavatam. It means beautiful Bhagavatam, the beauty of the Bhagavatam. Bhagavatam means God. And Sri is what makes God beautiful. It's like your soul makes you beautiful, not your body. Because <laughs> no matter how you may dress or attend to it, even the most beautiful model, if we just take out the soul, <laughs> no one will be interested. Right? So soul is the beauty. Hmm? So the beauty of the Bhagavat, that is Sri. That means the Shakti of God. Shakti of God makes God beautiful. As I said before, my Guru Maharaj used to say in a simple way, 
Krishna is not so beautiful by himself, but if he's standing next to Radha, then he becomes beautiful. She brings out something in him. She gives life to Brahman, to the Absolute. She makes him dance and play his flute and perform wonderful uh, leelas in madness. She makes God go mad. Through the pen of Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami, Bhagavan Krishna has said this very thing. Hmm? What is that he said? Radhikar Prem Unmada. What is uh, Ami Shisha? Hmm? Ami Purna Brahma. Yeah, he says that also. I'm the Purna Brahma, the Supreme Brahman. And the Prem, the love of Radha makes me mad. He says, uh, she, she's my guru. I am, I am her uh, Shisha. You might have wondered who was the guru of Krishna. Now you know. But she's the Siksha guru. Siksha guru. He has a different Diksha guru. <laughs> the Diksha guru of Krishna is a Shaivite. Because no Vaishnava would come forward and offer themselves to be the guru of Krishna. You understand the difference between the Shaivite and the Vaishnavite, right? So how can a Vaishnava become the guru of Krishna? He will. That will be awkward for him. So Sandipani Muni, of course, he's a he's a Shaivite in the Leela of Krishna. But to be in the Leela of Krishna, you have to be some kind of devotee of Krishna also, with a different role to play, perhaps. But the real guru is Radha. She is the Siksha guru. She is his dancing guru, and that's what what he's all about. Is dancing. So that dancing is recorded in Srimad Bhagavatam by Vedavyas, high in the Himalayas, right up next to the, along the bank of the Saraswati actually. Ganga is there, Saraswati is there, but both Ganga and Saraswati find themselves, uh, are represented in, uh, in the Bay of Bengal. There's a confluence. Jalangi and Ganga. Hmm? Jalangi is uh, the sacred Saraswati. So, the origin of this Gaudiya Vaishnavism is there in the Himalayas in the pen of Vyasa in Srimad Bhagavatam. He wrote all the other Vedic literatures and he was feeling unsatisfied. So Narada, his guru, came and said, I, I think you're feeling unsatisfied. Yes. Do you know the cause? No. Let me tell you, you've wasted your time. I wasted my time. I've written all these books for the benefit of human society. He said, yes, you've wasted your time. You could throw them all in the Saraswati. How is that? Because in all of your writing, you've kind of skirted around the, 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 the essence. You have not just come out and said it. Krishna's two Bhagavan Sayam, these kind of things. You've not come out and said, the absolute is 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 uh, uh, dancing under the influence of his shakti hmm, of Radha. You've not come out and talked about bhakti, about love. You talked about gyan. You talked about karma through Patanjali. You, your student. You talked about yoga. So many things. So many different paths. Well, bhakti has been mentioned here and there. But we need one book that is only about bhakti. There's uh, Nirmal, that is uh, 
it is uh, has nothing to do with material nature and if at all anything to do with it it has to do with transcending it and that only incidentally the focus will be rather on life after that in such a way written about it in such a way that if we hear about that so much impetus will come for having a part there in the drama of the life of God that transcending the material existence which is the mukti which is which is the goal that you've written about for the most part thus far will be just happen automatically you should put your pen to this Vyas went inspired by his guru he sat in meditation hmm? He meditated on the, the leelas of, of Radha and Krishna and Srimad Bhagavatam came out from his pen. Such a beautiful treatise. Literally speaking, there is no comparison between Bhagavatam and any other Purana. There's no comparison. Theologically speaking, just from a literary point of view, a theological point of view, it, it, is, it is obvious, even objectively or you know, you want to say, academically, this is a richer, much richer book than anything else that has been penned. Again, from an academic point of view, it may appear that it was written at a much later date in a different type of Sanskrit, perhaps more sophisticated type of Sanskrit. And of course, we are have a different, slightly different view as practitioners. We will think, yes, he wrote it in his most mature stage, in, in ecstasy. It has a different feel to it. It's a different time in the life of Vyas, a later moment in the life of the uh, legendary author of the scriptures. There in the Himalayas this was written. And the essence of it then, thousands of years later, appeared just where that those sacred rivers, Saraswati, Ganges, enter into the Bay of Bengal, where they get their fulfillment. If the river makes it to the ocean, then its life is successful. <laughs> so where they, the sacred rivers have come to enter the, enter, the, enter, the, enter the Bay of Bengal, the life, the, 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 the inner life of, of, of Srimad Bhagavatam has appeared as Sri Chaitanya. And there he began his, uh, to experience himself this is the formal beginning of what we call Gaudiya Vaishnavism, our tradition. And it, it, it has, it, it's the formal beginning, as I say, because it has its origins in these sacred texts, which have no origin. Although Vyasa is writing about it, he's writing about something that is, uh, that is already existing. So, you can find in our uh, Saints have done so. So many references from so many of the sacred texts all pointing to this event. In this way they are, have formed a, a lineage of Sampradaya under the direction of Sri Chaitanya. He told them principally that you should chant this Hare Krishna Mahamantra. He told them in Nabadweep. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. This should be your main Nam Mantra. 
and sing it uh, widely everywhere. This Nam mantra is found in in the Puranas, I believe, maybe Brahmanda Purana and another Purana, half of it in two Puranas, and all in one in Shruti, Kali Santaran Upanishad says. What is it? Iti Sodasakam Namnam Kali Kalmashanashanam. Narada asked Brahma, Narada is the guru of Vyas, Brahma is his guru, he asked him, how will the people of this age, Kali Yuga, be delivered? Brahma said, by chanting the name of God. Narada said, which names would they chant? He said, Iti Sodasakam Namnam Kali Kalmashanashanam. Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari, Hari Ram, Hari Ram, Ram Ram, Hari. These 16 syllables, three names, Hari Krishna and Ram, arranged in this way. By chanting this in Kali Yuga, all the ill effects of Kali Yuga will be destroyed and you will be delivered and all the Vedas say this either directly or, or indirectly. Rupa Goswami wrote a, wrote a nice poem where he said, what is that verse? Nikila mo, Shruti Moliya. He said, oh, all of the, the Upanishads, the Shruti, are like a necklace of valuable gems and they have a rays of light like gems do that shine from them. And they're all shining on the, Hari, on the name of Krishna, saying that whole, in the language of Sri Dhamma's jungle of sounds that we call the Vedas, so many statements are there to sort it all out. What's the essence? Difficult to say. He said, look carefully, you see, they're all shining on this one sound, Krishna. Everything will be accomplished by this. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has not, take, not started some new religion with his advocacy of chanting the Mahamantra, but he's taking the very essence of the scripture. He's taking the, the, the theology and the phil philosophical um, framework of Srimad Bhagavatam and taking the principal sound in all of the Vedas and shown how Srimad Bhagavatam supports this idea and therefore all the Vedas must support it. It's only an academic exercise for us to go to this Purana and that Purana and this Shruti and that Shruti to show the people who who don't understand the, the, the position of Srimad Bhagavatam in the whole affair of the sacred literature. Mahabharata has taken that, Krishna Nam, and given a whole doctrine to support it, and then taught his uh, disciples the way in which to practice that chanting. And it's not difficult. As you see, we have gathered here and chanted. And for some time, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu remained on earth from the time of his birth till about uh, how old 42 years hmm? he chanted his associates immediate and then the second generation were writing we talked about this the other writing about this event hmm? in poetry writing songs about it writing books about it and so forth and over time, it became disseminated to some extent. But just like that uh, Ganges or Saraswati, as a shifting body of water, 
sometimes part of the land is covered by that and sometimes it will shift and that land will come above um, and be visible. So this Sampradaya, this lineage of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's, as mentioned in Gita, sometimes it's fully manifest and sometimes it's not as fully manifest. In Kali Yuga, for some time it will always be manifest. Still there will be times which it is more brightly manifest and times which it is more dim. And it becomes dim to give opportunity uh, for uh, devotees to take advantage of it, to dive deep in it and bring it out again, make it bright. It has its own purpose, its own way of moving. In the Gita, what does Krishna say? Evam parampara praptam imam raja shivobidu sakalena mahata yoganashta parantapa Sometimes this is what I'm teaching you, Arjun. It's more visible and sometimes it's more invisible in the world. And at times when it's more invisible, I invest new, new energy in that to make, it, to make it more visible and bring out the glory of one of my devotees. This is, this is his pleasure. Krishna takes pleasure in, 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 in highlighting and uh, showcasing his devotees. They are the way. To approach Krishna, we must approach to the devotees. We, he called his, his religion Vaishnavism. So it very much emphasis, emphasizes the devotees. They, they make this um, path uh, accessible by their practical uh, example. I've many times said, when we come into the temple of Krishna, we bow our heads. Why? Why do we bow our head before the deity? Because some Vaishnava has told us that it's Krishna as God. So where is Krishna? He's in the heart of that Vaishnava. Even more than he's on the altar, we should give attention there because through that Vaishnava, Krishna's coming directly to us locally. This is a very special event in our life. <laughs> so we should take advantage of that. So they, to bring out their glory, sometimes he makes his own teaching the bright light of that in Kali Yuga a little bit dim. And this has happened since the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance. I wanted to give a little history of our Sampradaya tonight, so. Bringing it from the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the time of, from the time and eternity of its esoteric origins to the time of Chaitanya's descent, which we can historically date, to the present. From the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he was giving love of God to everyone and anyone he met. And through Nitananda Prabhu, he was given to those who refused. This was his method. Prindavan Das Thakur, I talked a little bit about this the other night. He is a Saka. He loves Krishna like a friend. He was devotee of Nitananda Prabhu. Nityananda Prabhu told him in his heart, write about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, write a book. Nityananda Prabhu gave us Chaitanya Bhagavad, from which we know about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. What is his service? How important he is? Any writing in the book, Vrindavan Das Thakur is becoming so ecstatic. What is the significance of the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? 
He's talking about it in so many ways, and at some point he says, and if you don't take advantage of it, I'll step on your head with shoes. We think, what is that? You're supposed to be a devotee, a gentle person? You're going to step on our head with shoes? Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur explained once, if, 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 a, if a devotee like Vrindavan does, this is called Yudhavira. Yudhavira. He's a Saka, means a friend of Krishna. This is his principal sentiment. Ram and Krishna. Krishna and Balaram. But these uh, Sakas, their, their friendship, friendly relationship, relationship is augmented by, by other sentiments. And one of the principal ones is this Virarasa. Virarasa means to be a hero. Bhaktisiddhanta hmm? once, Saraswati Thakur once said, Hero, Virarasa in this world, Madhuriyarasa in that world. Someone may say it doesn't quite fit, but, uh, but surely in the case of Vrindavan Das Thakur it fits. Virarasa hid this world, be a hero, conqueror, and preacher, or something like that, and in that world, friend of Krishna. Virarasa, Yudhavira, different types of Virarasa, Dhanavir, um, and um, what is it? Mm. Yudhavir, three or four kinds. We are only concerned with this Yudhavira anyway. <laughs> and they are making motions like this, Krishna and his friends. Come on, let's fight. Hmm? <laughs> they are wrestling with Krishna, and sometimes they are winning. Hmm? This is inconceivable. This kind of thing is mentioned in Srimad Bhagavatam. He's falling in love with Radha. His friend is whispering in his ear, telling her him some secret. It's all right, she's coming back. Supporting him hmm, in so many ways. Wrestling with him so that he can bear the separation from Radha by being preoccupied. <laughs> so, in this spirit, Vrindavan Das Thakur is speaking in a heroic spirit, just like the suckers will tighten their belt and say, we'll get that demon. Hmm? In the Raj, sometimes Kangsa was sending demons to Vrindavan to try to kill Krishna. Krishna was able to deal with them very easily because every morning he would eat the prasad cooked, from by, cooked by Radharani, who had a blessing from Durvas. Whatever he cooks, whatever she cooks will be like nectar. Nectar is amrit, means you can live forever. Amrit. So he is very competent on that basis, but still his friends, they have Vishwamba. Vishwambhina is a Sakya Pradhan. The basis of this is friendly lovers. They think we're equal. There's no difference between him and me. In fact, I may be a little stronger than him even. It's possible. When Krishna lifted Giri Govardhan hill, all the Sakas, all his friends were not saying, wow, you're doing a great job. No, they said, you need some help. And they're putting their sticks up also to hold the hill. So they may challenge some demon. Come on! We'll kill that demon. Because they have confidence. Krishna's with them, of course. And this is their spirit. So in that spirit, he says, and we'll kick on their head with shoes if they don't take Chaitanya Mahaprabhu seriously. He's Krishna. If they don't love him. Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur said, when they say that, then Krishna goes to that person. Oh, said, don't worry, he's my sakha. They get like this. They do like <laughs> They're enthusiastic. Hmm? It's a way in which 
they would otherwise not get the attention of Krishna. It's not an easy thing to do. How do you get the attention of Krishna? He's in love with Radha. He's being pinned to the ground by his friend. He forgot he's God. How will he get his attention? If someone who has his attention gives attention to us, then Krishna's attention will go there. If Krishna loves me and I love you, for whatever reason, by the laws of love, Krishna will love you and go to you. If I don't like you, Krishna will also go to you. Oh, well, he doesn't like you in a strong way. He's made a point of it. Don't feel bad. <laughs> it's a, it's, this, is the, this is the same, as I say, Muda of Nityananda Prabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave love of God to everybody. Nityananda Prabhu gave it to the people who didn't want it. So at that time, love of God was being given without any sadhana. No sadhana. Sadhana means spiritual practice. At the time of the descent of Gaur Nityananda, love of God was just being given. No sadhana necessary. Special time. Now, since their disappearance, their devotees, Rup, Sanatan, under their direction, his direction, Mahaprabhu's order, they wrote so many books and they explained the sadhana. Other devotees came and, and gave support to those books with supplementary literatures and so forth. They taught the way to do the practice. It's a kind of a practice of love. You can't really practice love, but you practice doing certain things that will uh, uh, attract love. This is what sadhana is, actually. Sadhana is all about preparing the heart for love to manifest within it. Just like a young girl may look in the mirror and decorate herself, and so, so she walks out in the street and thinks somebody will, I will strike somebody down <laughs> and <laughs> capture someone, something like that. So sadhana is like that. It's for decorating the heart, making it an appropriate place where love will dawn, take birth, koreye udai. What is that process of uh, decorating transcendental uh, cosmetics? Uh, Shravanadi, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Smaranam, Vishnu Smaranam, all these practices. In Kali Yuga, don't, don't feel this, you got left out. Mahaprabhu came and gave it with no sadhana. To some, now we've left with the sadhana. Sadhana is difficult. It takes a long time, sadhana. Said people can do sadhana for lifetimes. Practice and progress is slow. No, don't worry. Mahaprabhu has invested special energy in Navavida Bhakti. Navalakshan Bhakti. Special this Navalakshan Bhakti means Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Parasevanam, Achanam, Bandhanam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Atmani, Vedanam. All these nine processes of hearing about Krishna, chanting about Krishna, meditating upon Krishna serving the deity of Krishna, and so on. All these processes, Mahaprabhu has invested special energy in, especially within Kirtan, the Dharma of the Yuga, Namsan Kirtan. Especially in that he's invested special energy so that by drawing upon this Navalakshan Bhakti, and especially Kirtan, that mercy that he gave to everybody with no sadhana, 
he didn't go away with it, with it. He left it here, investing it in Navavida Bhakti, a special investment in that Bhakti that previously was not there, making it easier. That's where you find his mercy in sadhana. You think, oh, he didn't leave me any mercy. No, but in, the, in, these, in these practices, and a special energy in that, you, you will not have to wait many lifetimes. And the, re- the result you will get from this Navalakshan Bhakti at this time is the highest possible result, especially from Nam Sankirtan, which he emphasized so much. Nam Kirtan, like we just did Nam Kirtan. This is Kirtan, not just running here and there on the streets and things. Rather me also, but this is. We did some kirtan today, no problem. <laughs> In this way, then, the sampradaya, the lineage, uh, was officially formed with its practices, sadhana, and so forth. Over time, uh, it became somewhat uh, dim. Again, for what reason? That some special devotee. Mahaprabhu Sri Chaitanya could make known, could showcase his, which is his delight. So about a hundred uh, plus years ago, the great Kedarnath uh, Dutt Bhakti Binod Thakur appeared in Godadesh uh, area, West Bengal. And he envisioned fulfilling the prophecy of Chaitanya Bhagavat, coming from the words of mouth of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself. My name will be heard in every town and village. He descended to fulfill that and to give new life to the Sampradaya. To give it life means what? To interface it with the rest of the world. The world was going in a certain direction towards what we call modernity, right? Industrial society and so forth and so on. India is still in an, at this time an agrarian-based society largely and not subjugated by the British, not up to date and so on and so forth. So he sought to interface Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's tradition with the modern world. He corresponded with uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson and uh, David, Henry David Thoreau from India about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching. He wrote a book, Life and Precepts of Sri Chaitanya. It was sent to Canada, arrived there, McGill University, I think it was. So he, he, this is a difficult thing, you have to understand. Born in India, getting out is not an easy thing to get a visa and get out of the country. We're Western people, we can go here and there. I can come into Finland with practically no passport uh, from America. And you can go so many places, it's not difficult. Some of you have come from other countries here to visit with me. But in India, it's a very difficult thing to get a passport even, and then to get a visa to get to go somewhere. Huh? So. Bhakti Thakur is trying to communicate with that world out there, the world, where it's going and so forth, and ask the world to catch up with what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to give. He's not really trying to catch up with the world, but trying to get the world to catch up with what they went, with what they passed by, what they missed, 
uh, because of being externally oriented, sensually oriented, rather than inwardly and spiritually oriented. And so he wrote and, and, and corresponded. He wrote books, he wrote songs. And, and although he was kind of uh, alone in a sense, a voice in, in, in the wilderness of sorts, hmm, the backing behind his voice was the energy of Sri Chaitanya, Gaur Shakti. He had a Gaur Shakti, so it couldn't go in vain. Krishna Shakti Vinayanahi Tara Pravartana. He had that Shakti, it would be successful. He prayed to, to, to God, please send me some help to do this work. And I got a precious gift in the form of Bhimal Prashad, his son, who became the great Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. He was a very strict follower of Bhakti Vinod. Bhakti Vinod began the work of interfacing this with, with the modern modernism and, and cleaning up what might have any discrepancies that might be there in tradition due to uh, influence of time and so forth. The way in which Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur worked, some people thought he was actually different, had a different idea than Bhakti Vinod Thakur. But over time now it's become apparent that, no, these ideas of Bhakti Siddhanta for innervating the, 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 the Sampradaya all came from Bhakti Vinod. He didn't do anything that he didn't get inspiration from Bhakti Vinod to do. So we are coming in this lineage, we attach ourselves to Bhakti Vinod. And we consider him, as he was called at the time, by the literate society, the seventh Goswami, meaning that like the six Goswamis, Rupsanatan and so forth, who were the immediate associates of Mahaprabhu, who formed the Sampradaya, he has reformed it to uh, interface it with the modern world and is running after the modern world in a sense, not to, not to just be up to date again with the modern world, but to get the modern world up to date with what happened at the time of the descent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and how important it is. And in the course of doing that, he doesn't tell the people of the modern world, give up your modern life and pretend like you're living 500 or 5,000 years ago to take advantage of this. He knows, no, this is an eternal e event, the descent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's a universal panacea for the, for the Kali Yuga. It can be applied uh, in any circumstance. It's ahoituki pratihata. Nothing can check it. Yeah. In any circumstance, it can express itself. It's like the soul. The soul can express itself in so many situations. Take your soul, put it in, in a tree body, it will express itself. Put it in a bird's body, it will express itself. Put it in a fish body, it will express itself. Sarvagata, life is described like this in Bhagavad Gita. Nothing can uh, suppress it. It's a, it. Matter cannot alter the position of the soul. So what to speak of the life of the soul, we call uh, Krishna consciousness, alive in any circumstance. So he went like this, Bhakti Vinod, and he empowered Bhakti Siddhanta, and Bhakti Siddhanta formed a mission and um, sent missionaries out, if you will, with, using Christian terminology because it was predominant at the time. <laughs> 
and they were sending missionaries to India. So we said, we'll send our missionaries to London then and other places. He had a desire. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. That time, England was the ruling power of the world. It said the sun never set on the British Empire at that time. Of course, now we say it never, never shines there. They went into India. They couldn't take advantage of all these things. So unfortunate. But Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he envisioned that, that uh, this was in 1930s, that America would become the most powerful country in the world. He had a vision like this, which it did, of course, years later after World War II. And so, consistent with his vision, he had a desire that he expressed to live 10 years in America and from there to uh, spread the teachings of Sri Chaitanya. And so he passed from the world at a relatively young age, about 62 or 5 or something like that. Hmm? And it might have been thought by some that he didn't have his wish fulfilled. But how can such a person not have his wish fulfilled? His wish is only uh, to satisfy Krishna, Lord Krishna. So the, the learned Bhakti Rakshakshita Dev Goswami Maharaj, she said, I think that he got those ten years plus two in the form of his disciple, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Sami, who came to America at the request of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur to preach and began this, this uh, uh, teaching of uh, Nam Dharma. And now uh, that same person who had such a beautiful vision, Bhaktivedanta Siddhadeva Goswami Maharaj, about Prabhupada Bhaktivedanta Swami, who could say such nice things about him that we could not even imagine, who could glorify him in ways we could never hope to. Such affection he had for him and such vision he had as to his spirituality. He told, Swami Maharaj, your Prabhupada, I think he is a Shaktyavesha. Means, he is empowered, Abhish, with Shakti, O oh God. When some of my god brothers and god sisters heard this, they thought, oh yes, our Guru Maharaj is Shaktyavesh. Shakti, you may hear this now, you can go here and there. Prabhupada was a Shaktyavesh. Don't listen to Sri Maharaj. Sometimes, some places they are saying such things. <laughs> and where the idea came from? Pujapat Sridhar Maharaj, he had such a vision. I could tell you frankly, none of us would have said such a thing. Somebody might have said, that's my award. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> so he said such a thing. His learned disciple and successor, Bhakti Sundar Govinda Maharaj, once said to him, Guru Maharaj, you said that uh, Swami Maharaj, Bhakti Vedanta Swami, that he was uh, Shaktyavesh. Yes. Then so then he asked, what kind of a vesh? Because there may be different types of empowerment from God. Gyanavesh. Vyas had this, powered with Gyan, to compile the scriptures and so forth. Palanavesh. Prithu Maharaj had this type of empowerment. 
without any, without a moment's hesitation, Sridhar said, Nityananda Vesh, the power of Nityananda Prabhu. Then he began to explain the parallel between the kind of preaching of Nityananda Prabhu, who would give it to people who don't want it, even, <laughs> and the campaign of our Guru Maharaj, so sweetly. I don't remember how it came about, whether someone asked something or not, but he ventured also to say something else at another point. He said, I think that Swami Maharaj, he has some affinity for Sakiras, for being a friend of Krishna. And then he gave some an explanation of why and how. Very, very spiritually uh, scientific explanation. Hmm. And like that Vrindavan Das Thakur, hmm, I heard Prabhupada say, we'll kick on their head with shoes then. Those scientists, if they do not accept, rascals. These kind of things. This is Yudavira, understand? Like I mentioned before. <laughs> These are ecstatic expression. We'll think, oh, Swamiji is saying something. Better not write that down. It's, it's true. But it's not something to be embarrassed about. It's something to be ecstatic about. Oh, he's showing that. Who are have taste, feeling for this, they can understand. Well, that's something special. That side is coming out. Not that we'll want to hide it because, oh, uh, Swamiji getting a little bit carried away here. <laughs> we don't want people to see like that. Yes, he is getting a little carried away, that's true. But in love, the bhava is showing itself and we're getting a glimpse of that. That's very special. Normally he will keep it under wraps. Otherwise, how he will teach? Maybe falling on the ground constantly, getting up and falling down again. No sleep. Crying all the time, had to control that, to preach. In this way he campaigns, widely, giving it, even, and even, even people didn't want it, they, he would find a way to give it to them practically. And with his passing then, that great Bhakti Rakshak Siddhadeva Goswami Maharaj, who said all these wonderful things about him, the reason some of us have have drifted towards his good company it's because of all those things he said such an insight he has about our Gurudev so many wonderful things he is saying not only just praise but there's some some philosophy behind that praise that beautiful poetic expressions and wonderful uh, charming things about him but not just flattery you understand there's philosophy underneath that, theology supporting that. We are very stunned by that. How could we not be charmed by that? Hmm? So we came under his guidance. And Guru Parampara goes like this. Like that Ganges, or Saraswati coming from the Himalayas, hmm? it's going like this, in a crooked way. Sometimes over here, sometimes over there. Wherever there is a prominent manifestation of Mahaprabhu's teaching, then we know Guru Parampara is represented there. We should connect ourselves somehow with that. Come in the, in, a, in the flow of that. This is the idea. So with regard to myself you know, and our tradition, which I'm introducing to some extent to you, giving some history, then I'm coming in that line following Prabhupada and then Sridhar Maharaj in this way is all coming to you. This brings us up to date. Now, 
The next thing is, the reason I'm talking to you is because I want you to continue this thing. <laughs> so what we are doing here is we are not trying to make really disciples. We are trying to make gurus. We want Pridhiviti, what do we want? Amar Agnai Guru Han Desh. This is the order Mahaprabhu gave. You all become gurus and give Krishna to everyone. How you become guru? Yeah, guru means what? Guru, guru means heavy, that's true. <laughs> so, you have to get some knowledge then. Then you'll be heavy. Then you'll not be swayed here and there by emotions and things that people may say. Get grounded in knowledge. That's true. But how you'll get that knowledge? By studying the book? That will be helpful. But by giving yourself to your guru, by being a disciple, because who can be guru can only be guru if he is a good disciple. Because what we are teaching, which is the function of the guru to teach, is what? We're teaching service, bhakti, devotion. So you have to be a devotee, you have to be a disciple. Who can? It's a, it's a funny thing, because who goes the opposite way to be the servant only? Become the teacher. Then he has to sit in a big seat. And it looks ostensibly like he's taking the service from everybody. They're bringing him the plate and uh, washing his feet and all these things. But the background of that is service. So, I didn't want to speak too long tonight. Let's stop there. Any question? Yes. Well, that's an interesting question. I'll give a brief answer to that. Bhaktivinoda Thakur uh, asked Bhaktisiddhanta Sastri Thakur to, a, among other things, to uh, establish a kind of a uh, support system for devotees who would enter into the uh, teachings, the Sampradaya, the lineage of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. What I mean by that is that instead of giving them some beads to chant on and telling them, go sit in the jungle and chant Hare Krishna, he knew that that was for advanced stage of spiritual life. And not everybody could do that, but people would want to participate nonetheless. And, and in order to progress um, to that stage systematically, he envisioned the necessity for some type of support system, a mission, and which would give engagement, the principal engagement of which would be to propagate the teachings, which would mean you have to use your mind to think how to share this with people and, and or to assist those that are thinking like that, So, which, which is can be relatively consuming. And if your mind is consumed with such a task, then it won't be strained to things that won't be conducive for your, your practice, and it will cleanse your heart so that you can sit and do bhajan. It was his idea. At any rate, he called it Daiva Varnashram, a kind of a uh, idea for the devotees 
who are above Varnashram by way of having eligibility for bhakti, if they have eligibility for bhakti through shraddha, then you don't have to follow all the rules of Varnashram, but you have to follow all the rules of bhakti. But anyway, to give some support to that, he, he, he had some idea of, of a system. And Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthakar instituted something like that, where the sudras in his group were those who, who took vows but couldn't follow them, and gave them up, and came back and gave them up a few times. And, uh, and the Brahmins were... Sannyas, only the Brahmins, and it would, they, would be take, they would take sannyas, and they had a capacity to preach and explain. Anyway, he fashioned a mission. And it, so in the context of that, what, what he called Daiva Varnashram, he saw the need for sannyasis. Sannyasis, it's a, it's a Vedic kind of a thing. And um, sannyas is the upper end of the, of the Varnashram dharma. And the sannyasis are the gurus of the varnas and ashrams and and um, preachers and so forth. So he made some sannyasis. Well, he instituted the sannyas order in the sampradaya for the sake of preaching and disseminating Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And this is largely in consideration of the religious climate of the times how the people, the general people, were viewing Gaudiya Vaishnavism, what was the position of the Smartas and the Advaitins in terms of their influence over the people whom he, he wanted to just, uh, bring them out from underneath that influence and, and so on. So uh, it, unless you understand all of that background and climate and so forth, you won't be able to appreciate fully the sense, the, the, the innovative sensibilities that he brought to the tradition. It was to bring some dignity to Gaudiya Vaishnavism in the minds of the general people who would identify with sannyasis and uh, think that they were spiritually advanced and so forth. Because at the time, the sampradaya had been dimmed a little bit and people didn't have as much respect for it and understanding of it. It had been misrepresented by people so much so that in Bengal, if a Gaudiya Vaishnav came to your door, you would say, oh, the Gaudiya Vaishnav, well, give him some food and send him away. We have nothing to learn from them. Mostly immoral people, and it had become degraded like that. So the sannyasis were pukka moral people and, and had jnana and so forth, and people would naturally listen to them and so on. So he fashioned his Gaudiya Vaishnavas as sannyasis. And uh, he took the lead from Bhaktivinoda Thakur in this regard, who, who saw some, in his own vision, saw some evidence for it in the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. So this is why he instituted the sannyas. And how he did it was, um, based on the inspiration of Bhaktivinoda to form the Daivavarnashram conception, um, and although Bhaktivinoda Thakur had passed and his own guru, Bhakti Siddhanta Bhakti Gorkishodas Babaji Marsh had left the world, he uh, sat before the picture of Gorkishodas Babaji and accepted sannyas from him. Now it's interesting to note, because people think that's controversial, but it's interesting to note that, that the first sannyas disciple 
of Bhakti Siddhanta. The first person he gave sannyas to was the disciple of Bhakti Vinod. And at the time that he was initiated by Bhakti Vinod, Gaur Kishore, who became the guru of Bhakti Siddhanta, said, After your initiation in the future, you will take sannyas from a Mahabhagwata and travel outside of India to preach the glories of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And that happened. He became the first sannyas disciple of Bhakti, Bhakti Siddhanta, and he went outside of India to preach uh, Bhakti Pradeep Tirtha Maharaj. So from that we can get some idea that, that this had been forecast by his guru, Gaur Kishore, and that he was connected with him in a substantial way even after his, after his disappearance. So he instituted this, this way. Again, the significance of it, the relevance of it, the value of it, and so forth, may be lost to some extent in modern society now. And it was a time and place kind of innovation. That's worth considering for any empowered preacher in today's world. Anyway, that's basically what it's about. Does that answer your question? Yes. Why doesn't Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami ever mention the Hare Krishna mantra in Chaitanya Charitamrita? Um, or maybe, maybe he mentions it, but he never gives it. I don't think um, through his pen it's given by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but it was given in Chaitanya Bhagavat. Um, everywhere he says Krishna Nam, they chanted Krishna Nam, they chanted Krishna Nam. Why he didn't write it out, I cannot say. But it is clearly written in uh, in uh, Chaitanya Bhagavat. And some people argue that it's not meant for Kirtan, only for Japa. But Kalisantaran Upanishad uh, cites it as I have cited that scripture tonight with regard to what? With regard to the Yuga Dharma. And what is the Yuga Dharma? Kirtan. So, why he did not mention exactly, uh, I don't know. He did mention the Gopal Mantra and Kam Gayatri, which are the, the principal mantras. Mantras uh, is one thing, and Nam is another, but this Hare Krishna is a Nam mantra. It's a little bit of both in a sense. I cannot say why he did not exactly write it out, but uh, thereafter, everyone followed uh, Chaitanya Bhagavat, or at the time they were following the edict given in Chaitanya Bhagavat. Another question? Yes. I was reading Subjective Equation of Consciousness, and, and in there, Srila Sridharmaraj says that Jaya Dharma was could have taken place like a reality. Is that can we understand that in the same way as Yas saw like the whole Sri or Bhagavatam happen in reality or <laughs> Yeah, of course you saw it happen. Yeah. Of course it's real. Is the Krishna Leela actually happening? Yeah. It's eternally happening. And yes, he saw it. And wrote about it. That's correct. But can we see Jaiva Dharma in the, in the same light? Oh. Your question is, Jaiva Dharma is written, it's a book of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, like a novel, and there are personalities who ask questions and, and others who give answers and so forth. And this way he brings out the whole 
philosophy of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. This was a novel idea at the time, a century past in India. So his question, your question is, if I understand it correctly, are the, can we envision the persons in his novel to be having actually existed? Or is it just a literary device that he's employed to give the teachings? Srinamarsh answered it once. One of my godbrothers asked him, said, is it all right to write, can I, would it be all right to write a book about the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and, and employ um, fictitious characters in it, like Bhaktivinoda Thakur did when he wrote Jaiva Dharma. And Sridhar Maharaj said, those are not fictitious characters. He said, whatever appears in the mind of a pure devotee, that's reality. Everything else is questionable, how real it is. So when you ask, is it real? You have to think, what is real? Hmm? Is this real? Do you think do you think this is an object? <laughs> Even science will question that. Is, is this chair really here? <laughs> Even modern science, what, what will they say? So many things, they wonder. Whitehead had a, some thoughts like that also. Philosopher. So, yes, why not? Brihad Bhagavatamrita, another example. Some people may complain. Bhaktivinoda Thakur made up some books, attributed them to others, and signed his name there. Some people make complaint like that. Whether that's true or not, well, it's up to you to prove that. But, but regardless, then we can say, well, what about Sanandam Goswami, Brihad Bhagavatamrita? Everyone accepts him. <laughs> if you want to go academically, objectively, look at Brihad Bhagavatamrita, what Sanatana Goswami says is its origins and where it comes from. I don't think you can demonstrate that very easily at all, if at all. But we all accept Sanatana Goswami as empowered by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Why? Because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said he empowered him? Yes, but more because his work is powerful <laughs> and we can feel it. So is the case with Bhaktivedanta Thakur's writing also. Anything else? Yes. How did Sridhar Maharshan answer that question that can one uh, write, right. write fictitious? Basically, I think that his answer, um, he kind of left it at that, but what he was saying is that, in one sense, was also was that writing about Vaishnavism requires some purity. It's not just an academic advice, or academic uh, exercise. If one is pure, then they can employ any device, for that matter, in uh, for disseminating, explaining Krishna consciousness. And so, if they employ some literary device, but then it will take on a, you know, a, a spiritual color. So that was his answer. So, anything else? Yes. On this. Same subject, uh, Rupa Goswami has this drama Lita Madhava, mm. in which he gives uh, 
rather different version of uh, Krishna Lila. Um, how should we, how should we view that? Is it is it a device for presenting uh, theology, or or is it some kind of of Lila that sometimes happens in some universe? Or? Yeah, there's a Lila that's happening. The, dif- the, the difference is is the, what he's what he's doing there is um, showcasing the bhava. So yeah, it should be viewed as an actual lila envisioned by Rupa Goswami. He was told by Satyabhama to split his drama into two: Lita Madhava, Vidagda Madhava. It was blessed by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu personally and Ramananda Roy, Advaita, Nityananda Prabhu. Every Vaishnav present, uh, not just just poetic writing, but a real drama. You can you can live in the pages of Vidagda Madhava. Are you studying that now? Not right now. Mm-hmm. It's a higher book. The Bhava is the same. Parakya Bhava is stressing that. So, all right, very nice to gather with you all again. Let's stop there. Jai Sri Bhakti Vidanta Swami Prabhupada Ki Jai. Jai. Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada Ki Jai. Sri Bhakti Vidanta Parivar Ki Jai. Bhut Pramanandi.